0: Listen for the word of God today in Lamentations chapter 1, beginning with with verse 1. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheek, Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Mm -hmm. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She, Judah, lives among foreign nations and has no place to rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate? My groans are many, and I am sick at heart. The Word of God. It was my first very bad day of my life. I don't have a lot of memories from childhood. I remember this one. I remember this one arriving to school one day, and I don't know if I was first or last out of the car as we were dropped off in the turnaround. There were always so many of us. I do remember it was wet and rainy. It's the Pacific Northwest. That's most of the days. I remember I was wearing little white tights with a thick pattern woven down the legs. A little pair of tights that I loved. And I know my legs were short. I don't know how old I am, but I'm short enough. So short that when I leap out of the car, I land right in a mud puddle. A thick, oozy, deep, sinking kind of mud puddle right my lunchbox everything goes deep down into the mud puddle and I, I, I pick myself up and I, I, and I look at myself and I look at my mother <laughs> those white patterned tights are now caked with mud and wet and soggy I don't have a lot of memories from childhood some of you have varied and specific memories I don't have a lot but I do have this one memory of the first very bad day of my life I looked at my mother and I looked at my tights and I said, let's go home. It's 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back, one hour round trip, and then you can be on to work. And she said, no, you go inside, wipe yourself off. No, but everyone's going to see me like this all day long. What am I, maybe eight years old? Everyone's going to look at me like this. I look at my mother. I look at my tights. I look back at my mother. What comes next, church? Come on. Meet the people who know how to cry. The book of Lamentations, which I read from earlier this morning, the people do this kind of full, forceful, excruciating, kind of extended cry, equivalent to an an eight-year-old soaked with mud on white tights, the thought of all day at school looking like this, right? The book of Lamentations, it's one more angle in this sermon series on exile. We've been with the same group of people, those from the nation of Israel, taken away as hostages, as slaves, right? Housebound in Babylon, 70 years. The Old Testament speaks of this story. It occupies a lot of space in the Bible. We've studied these people from the perspective of the Psalms, and from Ezekiel, and last week Daniel. Today, we read from the Book of Lamentations, also called Wailings. It's another view in on the people in Babylon in captivity. It's the stuff of ancient stories. It's also the stuff of tomorrow's news. Jeremiah is the prophet. We imagine that he's sitting and looking at his destroyed city, destroyed Jerusalem, the destruction of home. Jeremiah is credited with this book, Lamentations, but we know that it's a community, a choir, really, of weeping. Jeremiah sees his city, and remember, it's a long story. It didn't happen overnight. King David, King Solomon, one united nation, everything is good. King Solomon dies, the nation's split in two. There's fighting from within. There's fighting from the neighbors. It takes a lot of years, a lot of generations. The north and the south separate. The south, thus the, the northern kingdom is the first to go. 125 years later, the south will be demolished city. The city of Jerusalem, the home will be demolished. This southern kingdom, this is the demolishing of the kingdom, the people don't get here overnight. So the book of Lamentation imagines now what it is when your city has been taken captive. The capital city, the Babylonians, by the way, the Babylonians have this kind of scorched earth policy. They not only seize your land, they not only burn it, but then they douse it with salt so they can inhibit any future crops to grow. They take your water wells and they fill them in so you'll have no water supply, right? They wreck your city. They ruin your economy. They take the relics from the government, from the temple back to Babylon. The leading citizens, they either kill or they deport. Anybody left in Jerusalem, there's nothing left there for them. There is no way to survive these ruins. This is what the prophet Jeremiah sees. This is what the weeping community sees in the book of of, um, Lamentations. Remember that these lamentations always come from a specific reality, whether you're an eight-year-old girl with soggy tights or a nation mourning your past and your future. Jeremiah and the weeping community, they take all of this in, Lamentations, and it's an acute experience, what what they're narrating right now. Chapter 1, verse 3, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations and finds no resting place. The city of Jerusalem now is personified as a woman, right? And if you have a Bible, please open it. If you have a Bible, look at Lamentations, please do. If you would read Lamentations this afternoon, terrific, because you'll notice some things right away. I suggest you read in an easy listening version, something like the New Living Translation this afternoon, and take note. Lamentations verse uh, chapter 1 will talk about the death of the city. Lamentations chapter 2 will talk about a God who is sovereign and humans who suffer. suffer. Chapter 3 will ask us to check our worship. Check your worship. Does it honor those who suffer? Lamentations chapter 4 will ask us if our lament honors a God who is still at work. Lamentations chapter five asks us to join the community, the suffer community, and the, the suffering community in lament, and remember that answers won't be self-evident immediately. But most interesting about this short book in the Bible is the clever way the poem takes shape. Now, this isn't just for poetry nerds. Stay with me for a moment. Look, when you're opening your Bible, that the chapters all have 22 verses, and those. 22 verses have three lines, and those three lines each begin with a different letter from the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, A to Z in English, or in the Hebrew alphabet, um, Aleph to Ta, right? There will be one of the books, Lamentations 3, one of the chapters, Lamentations 3, where it will be compounded and intensified so that so that everything is triple. It's named in triple amount. It's intensified, 66 verses instead of 22. From A to Z, the suffering is named. From A to Z, you know the game you play when you go on a road trip where you look out the window and you try to find something with the letter of the alphabet? I, I don't know if that game has a name, the alphabet game. <laughs> and you're, you're driving on the way to Yosemite and you're not done until you find a Z, right? You know, all the zebras out there. That's what's going on in this poem. From A to Z, the poet names it. And it's not over until every letter has been named more than once. Why do this? Why organize a poem like this? Is it a clever device? Maybe. Is it to bring some kind of pattern or order to chaos and grief that feels out of control? Maybe. Why organize a poem like this? From A to Z, from Aleph to Ta, the fullness of suffering is named. The completeness of suffering, the completeness of grief is expressed from A to Z. The lament is stretched as far as one could go in many of the psalms of lament. It's only a few verses of lament before they're speaking this confidence in God, but not the book of lamentations. The lament is stretched. Itemize or count your losses. You know the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. This this is the opposite of that. Count your sufferings. Name them one by one from A to Z. What is it that's been taken from you? Name it. What is it that's making you angry? Name it. What is it that you're missing? Name it. What is it that's calling, causing you sleeplessness? Name it. What is it? Is it guilt? Is it confusion? Is it sadness? Name it. Is it about God? Name that too. The Book of Lamentations, the lamentor, the lamenting community, the poet, refuses to clean up the language. So in the first chapter only, if you were to underline the kind of honest and gritty sufferings, there's slavery, there's abandonment, there's being despised, there's feeling faint, there's being... Uh, walked on or trampled on or crushed. There's harsh labor. There's being tormented. There's violence. Some of it is sexual violence against the body. There is shame. Lamentations teaches us that we don't find comfort by pretending things aren't as bad as they are. Suffering hurts and loss matters. So much hurt and so much much loss that we might have to go through the alphabet more than Once. So for the past two weeks, I've been noticing something in, in some of us, maybe in your home too, right? I can feel it in myself, actually. Some of us are saying, can things get any worse? Someone said it to me this morning, can it, can it get any worse? How much more can we handle? I wonder what's coming next. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when the, the earthquake came and some of us said, yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, sure. It's 2020, an earthquake too. That makes sense. How much more can we take I've been noticing people expressing that, kind of grieving that the last few days. I've been noticing. I mean, it feels like we're stuck in a time loop. You know the movies where you're in a time loop where you live today and then you wake up tomorrow and live it all over again, only you've got the accumulated plot of yesterday? It's like a Doctor Strange movie in Damamu or Bill Murphy and Groundhog Day, Right? We're stuck in a story with an accumulated plot. Only, only now, you know what I'm sensing in myself and in some of us, friends? I feel it inside of myself. I see it in my pastoral colleagues. I see it in some of our teachers and professors. I see it in our families. I see it in our frontline first responders. I see it in our city and our nation as we're responding now with anti-racist, racist intention. I see it. Can anything worse be happening to us where it feels like we're at the bottom of our soul? Can it get any worse? It comes in small ways. This is what I'm noticing, right? Our sleep comes to us difficult or our work is hard and, and and taking more time and foggy and we're a little bit slow and we don't have energy and and we look at each other and wonder what did we get done today <laughs> even our taste buds are off listen Kirby brought ice cream home a, a week ago I'm not a big ice cream girl you give me ice cream it'll stay in the freezer for a while I took the lid off took a bite of this ice cream and I said to him oh my goodness is ice cream always? this is what ice cream tastes like this is delicious has ice cream always been this good? <laughs> Probably not. And it's, the ten, it's 10 minutes of the best distraction I had all last week. I'm noticing this in all of us, church, and maybe lamentations. The act of lamenting will help us. Maybe in lamenting, there's permission and language to name the sadness and the despair from A to Z to say what it is. Yes, but pastor, someone wants to say. Those are not three of my favorite words. Yes, but pastor. Don't you know in 1 Corinthians 10, it says we're not supposed to grumble. And don't you know in Philippians 2, it says do everything without complaining right? Friends, those books are for the new Jesus community in a different time, in a different place, with a different context. That is not what lamenting is about. Yes, but pastor, here's my response to that. This language sometimes rings in our ear. Yes, but pastor, we're not supposed to complain God is on God's throne, don't we see it? God is, God is faithful, God is working everything out, everything will be fine. Sometimes we, we fix our eyes on all that is bright and beautiful. We like to reframe the conversation in the Christian tradition. We do prefer happy stories. I know, because I grew up in church. We do prefer happy stories of the mission fields and souls that are saved. And, and I wonder if we've taught ourselves something, I, I wonder. I wonder if we've taught ourselves that it's one or the other, but not both, so we prefer eyes forward on the kingdom that's coming, not eyes down and around in this world. I wonder if we've taught ourselves. And that reflex is not actually biblical, that reflex, otherwise we would need to remove large sections of the Bible. The Bible is full of lament. This is really actually an interesting conversation. Pick it up with your friends or your family or your Bible study or an interesting, a serious conversation partner in your life. One critique of Western Christianity is this, that we have this preference for the triumphal tone, that we kind of strike that rhythm and that's our chord, the triumphal tone, primarily because we've been taught this. We've been taught, and we've lived it this way. So, in evangelical Christianity in the Western world, the primary language we use is for praise. Right? We um, we look at the top songs, by the way, in the Christian charts, the Christian music charts, contemporary music charts would be the best. Look at the top songs, the popular songs, the songs we like to sing again and again and again. Look and see if any of them are lament, would you? Because what we will find is over and over again, they will be songs of praise and songs of confidence in God, but hardly ever will it be a song of lament. Those of us who have in this world, who have positions and careers and some wealth and status and respect, those of us have in this world, we tend to celebrate in our worship, we tend to celebrate that stability. And we tend to thank God for what we have. And and we sing praises and pray for the constancy of what we experience. We don't really want our life interrupted or changed, those of us that have in this world. We don't expect to come to worship, to church, and start with a lament or a cry. We expect to come with a praise on our lips. Before you interrupt me, but pastor, let me finish the thought. The haves. But there are the have-nots. There are those who have less who have less income and less status and less respect. There are those who have less equity. Those who, there are those who are at the margins of the story, the have-nots. And when the have-nots worship, they tend to lead with a cry and a lament. The have-nots sing a song of suffering and survival, not because what is is to be celebrated, but because what is needs to be dramatically changed. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Precious Lord, take my hand. These are the songs of lament. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. Check the top Christian contemporary worship songs and ask yourself. We should ask ourselves here at the church, what are we singing? Have we saved laments for Good Friday and Silent Sabbath? Are we able to lament together? A lament. A lament is engaging God from the middle of trouble. What a lament does is mind the gap between where we are, between the current hopelessness and the hope that is to come. What a lament does is allow me to stand with my sibling who is suffering, even if it's not my suffering. A lament allows us to own the suffering in solidarity together. We're not doing nothing when we cry. We're testifying, we're advocating, we're naming a world the world as God intends it to be, not the world that is. When we lament and when we cry, we're not fixing something, we're naming it. We're naming it. When we cry, we're we're not fixing something, we are processing. When we cry and lament, we are not fixing something, we are responding. We're lamenting. The church that does not lament is a church with a theological deficiency. The church that does not lament, that chooses not to lament, that won't lament, has a theological deficiency. The church that insists on saying, get on with it, get over it, that church doesn't honor siblings that are on the margins of the story. That church doesn't honor the God who sits with the suffering. Laments not only name suffering, but before they end, they name the sinful conduct that got us to the suffering. When a church refuses to lament then, when disciples of Jesus refuse to lament, we lose our credibility in this world. One of the reasons the Christian church has lost moral authority in the last few years in our country, I believe, and around the world, is because we refuse to lament these past decades How can we be healed from something we will not name and acknowledge? So the author, uh, Sung Chan Ra, who wrote this book, um, Prophetic Lament, he has helped me in the last few weeks. He says, The tragedy of our racial history requires the lament of a funeral dirge. What potential healing could occur if we're to take the example of Lamentations 1 in necessary truth telling?" The city is deserted and the queen has become a slave. Affliction and harsh labor are part of the reality. How could we benefit from a funeral dirge that calls us to an honest depiction of the dead body in the room? There is so much right now that the disciples of Jesus bear witness to in our culture. There is so much in singing lament with alongside siblings who are suffering right now. And if we cannot do this in this cultural moment, then I wonder, what good is our witness? If we cannot sing and lament with siblings who are suffering, why would anyone be interested in our gospel story? Why would anyone be interested in 28 in Good Ideas? Dr. Jesse Wilson, this week, I heard him recount a story, a scene from Riverside in 1998. Dr. Wilson was pastoring here in Riverside. He remembers the scene when the 19-year-old Taisha Miller was driving her aunt's car and pulled over because she had a seizure, a medical emergency. Her family went back home to Rubidoux to get help. Someone called 911. When help arrived, when the police looked in the window and the doors were locked, they decided to smash the window to get to her. She had a gun on her lap. Dr. Wilson says the story gets a little fuzzy right there, but in the smashing of the window, she reaches for her gun. The four police officers shoot 23 23 shots, I believe, and the 19-year-old Taisha Miller dies. Dr. Jesse Wilson, pastor at the Kansas Avenue Church during the time, remembers that year, 1998 and the year after, and $22 million the city of Riverside invested in a new conversation, in new policies, in candid and honest work about how to take care of one another. The Kansas Avenue Church became a leader in the city of Riverside because of its insistence of being in the conversation and moving it all the way to the end goal. Dr. Wilson, when he told the story this week, he said, we must understand and recover the power of lament. We don't lament well, and we need to recover that power and do it well. When there is tragedy in the world, Jesse says, don't say a word, shut up and cry. Shut up and cry. Hmm. Someone needs to hear this today. I need to hear this today. Shut up and cry. Well, maybe I don't do tears. Well, then what is it that you do? Because grief needs to come out of the body. It needs to work itself out of the body. Shut up and cry. In this office, a lot of tears happen. Someone came in several years ago, and when I reached for the tissue box, I remember very clearly this church member said, I may need more than one box. Ever since then, I've always had three three tissue box boxes tucked around this office because a lot of crying happens. Can we intentionally build lament into our community? What songs do we need to sing together? What prayers might we need to pray? Maybe some of us simply need to sit down with the alphabet A to Z, a pen and paper in hand this afternoon, and name it. Name all of the things from the past 12 weeks. From A to Z, give it names. Can some of us in our small groups and Bible studies, can we hold space for others who are suffering and allow them, allow them to name, name it, A to Z. Later on today, one of our church members, Omar Oliveira will be honored by his family. Omar Omar passed away last week. When Omar's brother, Obed, came this week to the church to talk, to talk about it and to plan the, their memorial for Sabbath afternoon, Obed, Obed said, Chris, it's too much. It's like it's like a plot that's piled up. It's like too many things all at once, Chris. It's too much. First, we, it's pandemic, and we went home, and we've been isolated. My family—we haven't even seen each other all these weeks. And then, and then Omar—he collapses at home with a medical emergency, and by the time they find him, he's go- he's gone. It's too much. And then, and then George Floyd, and then I look around my angry world. Obed said, "Chris, it's too much." And standing in the parking lot a few days ago, Obed and I, with our face masks on, we looked at each other and all we could do was cry. Sometimes all we'll be able to do is cry. Lament is the language God gives us. Out of God's graciousness, God gives us one more way to relieve our pain. Lament. Lament. It will be halfway through the book of Lamentations, chapter three, before the poet wakes up and says, oh, I'm remembering a new thing. I have not oh, something's coming to me right now. God's mercies are new every day. Good things are happening in the world, but not every day will we be able to get to that part of the story. For the rest of the days, we might need to cry.